0: Welcome to this week's message at Corner Bible Church. We're so glad that you could join us. If you'd like more information on our church, you could check us out at our website, cornerbiblechurch.com, or you can like or follow us on Facebook. Now here's this week's message. Thank you for listening. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Awesome. Awesome. Well, my name is Pastor Davis. For those of you who don't know me, I am one of the teaching pastors here at Corner, and I'm excited we get to open up God's Word together on Palm Sunday here together. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19 today. Luke chapter 19. We're going to be focusing in on verses 28 through 44 this morning. 28 through 44. And this is the first week of April. Did anybody sneak up on them at all, either? It totally snuck up on me uh, this week. I'm like, I have no idea how we got here, but here we are. Um, But over these next couple weeks, uh, we are going to be finishing up our Mosaic series together. We're coming very rapidly to the end of the book of Luke here. And this week, uh, we are going to be walking through the story of the triumphal entry. Uh, Mike talked about this a little bit uh, in the worship set here, but we're walking through this time when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem for His last official week of ministry. And we get to celebrate that this week. And as we were kind of talking about how to end the book of Luke, and that we're corresponding with uh, Easter and all these other things, we thought it'd be kind of interesting to do something a little bit different this year as we go throughout Holy Week, because what Triumphal Entry does is that it kicks off Jesus' last week of ministry. All right? We all know that it starts on Sunday here, and on Friday, on Good Friday. Uh, we celebrate Christ's death on the cross. Sunday, we celebrate his resurrection. But there is this whole span in between of Jesus' last week of ministry. And what we thought would be really cool is since we're going through the book of Luke, to have some extra stuff this week that kind of covers that space between Good Friday and the triumphal entry on Sunday. So what's going to happen this week is we're covering triumphal entry this morning, then tomorrow through Thursday we're going to have uh, like three to four minute video devotionals they are going to cover a snapshot of what Jesus' week might have looked like between the crucifixion and triumphal entry here. So look for those on uh, our Facebook pages or on our our, uh, YouTube pages. I'm going to try and get on Instagram, but sometimes Instagram doesn't like longer videos. Then on Friday we're going to gather here together at 7 p.m. We're going to to have a communion service together. We're going to celebrate the Lord's death together. We're going to uh, look forward to that. And then Saturday, there'll be one more video uh, covering the one verse we have in scripture covering Saturday in scripture. And then uh, Sunday, we're going to gather together and we are going to celebrate Easter and the resurrection together. I think we have uh, six or seven baptisms in the next week, which is really awesome. Really excited about that. It's going to be a really encouraging time Together. But before we can do any of those things, I need you to look down at your text here. In Luke 19, we'll be looking at verses 28-40 through 40 this morning. Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem here. And it says this, "...and when He had said these things, He went on ahead going up to Jerusalem." When he drew near to Bethphage in Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into that village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And and they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on, on the colt, and Jesus sat on it. And as they rode along, they spread their cloaks along the road. And as he was drawing near, uh, uh, drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered them, I tell you, if these... These were silent. The very stones would cry out. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for this morning. And we want to thank you for everything that it represents today. That this is the beginning of the end of your time on earth for that first time. That you came in with singular focus. You were going to walk in obedience to your Father and die for us. Father, I want to pray for us this morning as we approach your word. We know your word is good. We know your word is never going to return void. We want to lift our hearts up this morning that there's anything in us, if there's any distraction in us, if there's anything that leads us away from you in this moment, that will you help us look away from those things and focus on you. That we focus on your word, what you have to say. Father, we thank you this morning that the gospel is true and we can rest in it. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're, as I mentioned a couple minutes ago, we are drawing near to the end of Luke. And it's been a journey, hasn't it? It's been a nine month. It's the longest series we've ever had here at Corner Together. It's been a wild ride. But while it's been a really long series, the purpose of the series was very, very simple. The purpose of this series was for us to answer and ask ourselves one single question. And it's a question you hear at the beginning of that video over and over and over again for every time we have watched that video. And that question is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Because the answer to that question for every single one of us is probably the most important question we can ask ourselves. Probably the most important thing that we can ask. See, in Jesus' day, there was plenty of people who had plenty of opinions about who Jesus was. There was plenty of people who thought uh, Jesus was a threat to the status quo. They saw Jesus as a threat to Mosaic law. They saw Jesus as a healer. They saw Jesus as an imposter. They saw Jesus as some of them as the Son of God. Some of them saw him as a guy who was going to kill the Romans. But it's not just the people in Jesus' day that had opinions about him. If there's, In fact, if there's been any character throughout history that people have had an opinion about, it's Jesus. Everyone's had an opinion about Jesus. As our video talks about each week, the name of Jesus has been used for Everything. It's been used as the, uh, the name to build hospitals off of. It's been used as an excuse to treat people horribly. It's been used as an excuse for the Crusades. It's been used for all these different things. Because everyone has an opinion about Jesus. Even fast-forwarding to today, I have many, many friends that would have very, very different opinions about Jesus. I have some friends that would call Jesus God. I have some that would call him a lunatic. I have some that would have called him a very good teacher or somebody that just wanted us to all get along or love each other. I have some people that thought he was a really good, uh, he was a really good political activist. So when you boil Jesus down, he has been the subject of Hijacking. What we typically do is we make Jesus this something, this guy that w- attaches whatever agenda we want to attach to. whatever we're for we can make Jesus for. He's been the subject of hijacking. And I think if there's one thing clear that uh, Jesus makes him clear for himself throughout the text here, or that I hope has been clear throughout this series, is that you and I, we don't get to define Jesus. The Pharisees that were accusing him of things don't get to define Jesus. My friends don't get to define Jesus. I don't get to define Jesus. The demons in the gates of hell do not get to define Jesus. Jesus defines Jesus. His mission defines who he is. And throughout our text, as we've been reading through the book of Luke, we've seen him define himself as many things. And this morning, we see him define himself as the rightful king. In fact, take a look down at your text with me. In verse 28. It says this. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tie which which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. You see here that Jesus has just got done teaching. In fact, if you look at the passage above this one, he has been uh, telling a parable. And before that, you see he was talking to Zacchaeus, you know, the little guy in the tree that was trying to see him in the crowd? Yeah, that guy, right? He was doing all these things. And what what the journey of that whole passage was was his journey from where he was teaching in the wilderness to come teaching in Jerusalem, right in the town square. That's what's happening. And he's been making his way towards this final week of ministry. And it says the text says here that as they draw near to Bethany and to Bethphade, which are towns on the way to Jerusalem, he says to two of his disciples that when you go into town, I need you to go ahead of this here. You're going to find a colt that's tied somewhere. I need you to grab that colt, untie it, and bring it back to me. And if anybody questions you, just tell them I need it right? Anybody think it's a kind of a weird request by Jesus right off the offset here, right? It'd be kind of like if you and I are kind of hanging out downtown Allegan, I tell you, hey, go, up, go to the Pizza Hut parking lot. There's gonna be a moped there. I, need, I, I don't want to walk anymore. Can you just please grab that for me, right? That'd be kind of a weird request, right? But there's something d- deeper happening here. This is more than just Jesus' feet are tired. And he's ready to take his feet off the ground, right? There's more, that, the, the more than happening here. There's prophecy tied to this verse, There's hundreds of years of history tied to this verse. See, if you go back all the way to the book of Zechariah, which is written probably 500 plus years before this event takes place, in uh, chapter 9 of Zechariah, verse 9, he's prophesying about the, the Messiah that's coming. And it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your King is coming to you! Righteous and having salvation is He. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey." See, there's something bigger at play here. There's something bigger than just Jesus needing a break. There's prophecy attached to this. There's anticipation attached to this. In fact, if you look across the entire Old Testament, there's like 450 prophecies of Jesus coming to be the Messiah. And in fact, if you look throughout the whole uh, New Testament, you see three hundred of like thirty of those that he fulfilled in his first like ministry when he was on earth, and the other hundred and thirty refer to uh, when he comes again in the second coming. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, and this is another one of those. The text continues. So then, uh, those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt, and they, Jesus sat on it. This so is the disciples, they go and get the colt. They find. They go into town, they find it there, probably by the Pizza Hut, right? And they go find it, and they're like, oh, well, here we go, let's go grab it. And the owner comes out, and he's like, why are you taking my colt? Like, what in the world's going on here? And they, the Lord needs it, and the guy's like, All right, I guess. We don't see any fight take place there, right? There's no throwing hands over this thing. They take it. It says when they put their cloaks on it, Jesus gets on the colt. They walk into Jerusalem just as the prophecy said. The King is coming. Salvation is coming. Redemption is coming. In fact, take a look down at your text here, continues. And as they rode along, they spread their cloaks on the ground. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, and peace in heaven, and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones themselves would cry out. The scene here is crazy. It starts out probably pretty small as Jesus and his disciples are coming into the city and his disciples are laying their cloaks down in front of Jesus as he's going out of a sign of respect. There's all of these people, these multitudes of people that come, start gathering around. They start seeing Jesus. And here's the thing there have been way more people right now in Jerusalem than ever before because of the Passover. This city is packed. Everyone's present. And all these people that are present are the people that have been hearing Jesus out in the wilderness teach. These are the people that have been out in the small villages hearing Jesus teach. Probably family members of those who have had family members healed by Jesus out there. And now they're all here and they see this guy coming. This guy that has so much social, so much uh, uh, mythos around him. That all this guy, they've heard so many things about this guy. And they all are gathered around and they're laying down palm branches. It's where we get Palm Sunday. They're laying down cloaks. They're shouting. They're saying, blessed is the King. He's here. He's here. And specifically, the text says in one of the other uh, parallel passages, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest, which literally means save us, is taken from Psalm 118. Save us! Because deep down, what these people believe that Jesus was coming to do, they're so excited because what they believed was that Jesus was going to set them free from the Romans. They believed that when Jesus got into town, that he was gonna wrestle up an army and they were gonna go take down the strongholds of all these Roman centurions that have been holding holding them captive for generations. That's what they believed. See, the situation here is ultimately they didn't want a king that was gonna set them free from their sin. They wanted a king that was gonna set them free from their circumstances. See, they thought their issue was bigger than sin. They thought their issue was their government. They didn't think about their biggest issue being the stuff that goes on in us. See, when it came down to it, The people that are welcoming Jesus in are very, very interested in dark days ending. How many of you go through dark days? You're very interested in dark days ending, right? Every single one of us. They were very interested in circumstances changing, they were interested in difficulty and uncomfortableness being away, being done, being in the past. But they were not interested in being saved from themselves. They were not interested in a Savior who was going to set them free from their sin. See, they wanted a king who would remove the difficult circumstances, but they didn't want a king who could redeem those circumstances. And churches, I was like studying this passage this week and I was looking at this crowd of people shouting Hosanna and all the uh, us to change their circumstances rather than their heart. I started seeing my face out in that crowd shouting Hosanna, right? I started seeing the American church out in that crowd shouting Hosanna, right? Because how often do we do this too? how often do we cry out not because we're ready to change, not because we're ready to grow, not because we're ready to be different, ready to accept Jesus, but we want the situations or the difficult stuff to go away. See, the deep down thing here for the people that are welcoming Jesus was they wanted to use God's power. They wanted His authority. They wanted His ability but they didn't want to count the cost. And church, it's so much like us so many times that we call out to Jesus to change our circumstances. And that's okay if we do. I think he wants us to call out in those difficulties. Jesus called out in John chapter 17, Father, there's any other way to do this, let's do it that way, but not my will. Your will. It's okay to cry out. but oftentimes we forget that not sometimes god wants to redeem us in the midst of the discomfort in the midst of the discomfort see in fact the entire gospel is proof that god can redeem our worst scenarios see jesus knew that all of this praise that he was receiving right now was temporary he knew it was temporary all these people that were shouting Hosanna right now on Friday were going to be shouting Crucified. All these people were going to turn on him. He knew that. He knew that all, all these people were going to go the other way. He knew that he was a lamb that was walking to his death, that when those gates shut behind him, that was the last time those gates were going to shut for him. He was walking into a cage. This was it. Everything that he'd been preparing for. Everything that he had taught about. Everything that had been coming up to this moment. It was here. But he slid his chips all in. He knew the Father called him to obedience. And he slid his chips all in. And see, the reason why Jesus was able to do that The reason why Jesus was able to go all in in this moment was because He knew that even though the situation was going to be dark, even though it was going to be difficult, even though it was going to cost Him everything, even though he He was going to die in this moment, He was going to be separated from His Father, He was going to bear the weight of every single one of our sins, even though all of that was going to happen, Sunday was going to come. God was going to bring redemption out of it. God was going to bring life out of it. God was going to bring hope out of it. That the bad situation wasn't the ending. But it was soil for a brand new beginning. That's what was going on. See, that's the point of what God is doing. God does this over and over and over again. That God is not a God that just sweeps bad situations, sweeps our sins, sweeps our difficulty under the carpet like they never happen and tells you to move on and forget about it. That's not the kind of God that He is. That's not God. That's not gospel. That's not a redemption. That's passivity. And God's not passive. God's not passive. See, what Jesus is doing by walking this road to Jerusalem is he is showing that God takes our worst situations, our deepest depression, our worst-case scenarios, our deepest anxieties, and he can make something beautiful out of them. He can make redemption happen. Not because we're awesome. How many of you admit we're not awesome? I'm not awesome. But because of His grace. Because of His ability. Because of His power. Because of the story He's telling. See, despite what the Jewish people believed as Jesus walked their streets on this day, it wasn't their circumstances that needed the change. As rough as they were. God was going to judge the Romans one day and God judged the Romans one day. But their deepest need at that moment wasn't their circumstances. It was them. Jesus wanted to change them. In church, the the same is true often for us. It's not often our circumstances that need to change. It's us. See, God can use our broken situations. He can use the horrific things that happen. Not because he calls them good. He does not call them good. But he can bring redemption. He can bring hope. He's that strong. So being really vulnerable here, I've to be really vulnerable for a moment. There's been a lot of times over the last few months for me that I've asked God to change my circumstances. There's been a lot of times over the past few months that I've said, God, make this stop. I'll be honest with you. I never thought that I would be the main teaching pastor at a church. Ever. That was never in my five-year plan or 10-year plan or anything like that. It's never a responsibility I've wanted. I never would have applied for that job. And there's been many times over the past several months that as I felt the weight of this, I felt the responsibility of this, the heaviness of this, that I just wanted to run and hide. Go work at Starbucks or something. Do anything else. Not because our church is awful, our church is amazing. You guys are amazing. Because I was terrified of making a mistake. I was terrified of messing up. Making a bad decision. And there's been so many prayers over the last several months of God, take this away. I don't want this. I can't do this. I can't do this thing. Because along with that came every insecurity, every fear, every depression from my past, right? That we attach to ourselves a lot of times. All those things came with it. But I want to tell you something. It was in that. It was in that. That God showed up. He said no to every one of my prayers to go away, work at Starbucks, okay? He said no to all of those. He said, Davis, this may not be the circumstance you would have chosen for your life. This may not be your five-year plan. This may not be what you wanted to happen, but it is the circumstance I'm going to use. And ultimately, what God said in those moments was, Davis, it's not your circumstances that need to change, man. It's you. It's not your circumstance need to change. It's you. I'm redeeming you. This is part of it. And in the midst of flesh, Davis, breaking, in the midst of anxiety, Davis, breaking depression, Davis, breaking old nature, Davis, breaking, God started making something new. And I'll tell you what, it was painful. It was awful. It was hard. Because all of a sudden, when I was giving advice to people, I had to depend on only God. When I was seeking vision, I had to depend on God. When I was uh, tired, I had to depend on God. When I had to uh, do all these things that were new, I had to depend on God. He had to be my refuge, He had to be my strength, He had to be my source of comfort, my source of wisdom, my source of power. It was so cool was in the midst of that brokenness, in the midst of those insecurities, God built a renewing in me that I never would have experienced if I hadn't gone through this. Growth that I never would have had ever in a million, million years. All because God refused to make my life comfortable. He refused to make it easy to the point that I would live these four months again and again and again and again because of what I've gained in Christ every single time because right now what I've gained is so much better and I don't say that to toot my own horn, please do not misunderstand me with that but what I am saying with that is God can redeem your situations. There might be times that God changes your circumstances. And I praise God when he does. But if he hasn't, maybe he's using those circumstances. If he hasn't, maybe there's something there. And maybe you're here this morning and you feel like your world's falling apart a little bit. Maybe you're coming in this morning and it kind of feels like uh, your marriage is in shambles right now. Maybe it feels like you've been walking through depression or anxiety like you've never seen before. Or maybe your kids are doing stuff and you're like, how in the world am I going to parent through this? Maybe you feel like you've lost your purpose or your calling and it just kind of feels like you're going through the motions of life. And maybe you've been asking God, change these circumstances because I don't want to go through this. Maybe he will. But if you've been praying that and he hasn't been changing the circumstances, maybe a better question is God, what are you redeeming in this? What are you working in me in this? What are you calling to change in me in this? Because that's the gospel, that's what he does. We sing that song, he turns graves into gardens. Those worst things about your life that you think can never change, he changes. That's why he walked down Jerusalem. Text continues here. And when he drew near to the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day that things that make for peace but now they were hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. They will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. What Jesus is doing here is he's prophesying. See, about... uh, 50-ish, 40-ish years after Jesus dies and ascends into heaven here, the Romans come in and they wipe out Jerusalem. They wipe it out. The Jewish people had tried to gather resistance after resistance after resistance, and after years and years and years of poking the bear, the Romans had enough, and they came in and wiped it out. Tear down the temple. In fact, not one stone stands on another. And what Jesus is focusing in on here is he says they are blind to what the real problem is. God was working for, God was going to take care of the Romans. The Jewish people didn't have to do that. God was going to judge them. He asked them to look at themselves, to change the world that was in them. And for instance, we ramp into Easter here, it's a really exciting time anybody claims their Christianity card, it's usually on Easter or Christmas, right? It's a really exciting time. It's awesome. But as we head into this week, I see us in the crowd. We shout Hosanna. We shout save us. We shout welcoming the king. But I want to ask you a question. I want to leave you with this. Which king Are you welcoming? Are you inviting the Jesus that actually is, the Jesus that came to bring life and bring it abundantly, that can change you, that calls you to bear your cross, that calls you to lay your life down at his feet and pick up his will for your life, or are you calling, inviting the Jesus that you've made in your own image that we talk about in that video? The Jesus that agrees with you. The Jesus that does what you want. We get to ask the question, which king will we welcome? Because there's one question we don't get to decide, and that's this that darkness is here. Darkness is here. We saw darkness in Nashville this week, didn't we? Horrible, heartbreaking situation. Evil is present. Darkness comes, difficulties come, dark times come, depression comes, marital problems come problems with parenting, they all are going to come. You don't get to decide if they come or not. They're going to happen. That's part of sin. That's part of life after the fall. But what you get to decide is what you do with the time God's given you. You get to choose which king you're going to invite. The king that invites us to change or the king that agrees with us. Which king are you going to invite today? Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for this week's message here at Corner Bible Church. If you would like more audio resources, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Or you can go online and visit us on our webpage at cornerbiblechurch.com.